Okay. Uh, I week that I don't like doing the sermon from home, sitting in a chair. So I'm glad to be back here doing this. Um, we're in the uh, our continuing study of Paul's letter to the Romans. In it, he's explained that the Jews, even though they have an advantage, that advantage being that they have the commandments in the Torah, uh, that even with that advantage, and then the Gentiles, who don't have the Torah, but have a conscience, that we're all sinners. Uh, he goes to great lengths to make that clear, and therefore, uh, the law becomes problematic for us. Not because there's something wrong with the law, but because there's something wrong with us. We're all sinners, with or without the law. So Paul explains that the Torah and the prophets testify to a righteousness of God that is by faith. And that is a righteousness that is independent of the law itself. And that justification, he says, is a gift. That gift is a gift of God's grace. It cannot be earned. You can't add to it by your obedience. You can't take away from it by your disobedience. And that eliminates boasting. Nobody can really claim the higher ground in that context. And then he goes on, as we saw, to use Abraham as an example, both in uncircumcision and in circumcision. Regardless of that, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then he quotes David who says, Blessed is the man in whom the Lord will not impute iniquity. In other words, he will not hold his sin against him. So, he uses the law and the prophets to prove that righteousness by faith that is by grace. So last week we discussed uh, Paul's claim that our entrance into the grace that we stand on, that is based on faith, has a goal. And that goal is our glorification, to join in with the glorification of the Lord. Paul's going to talk more about that when we get to chapter 8, but he just introduces it in, that, in this context. And he says there's a process that you and I are undergoing. And as I told you last time, uh, or maybe the time before, I wasn't told any of this, right? Uh, I was, I was kind of told that when you accept the Lord, everything will get better, you'll get better, it'll be an automatic thing. Uh, but Paul believes we should rejoice in this process, because this process begins with testing a struggle of our faith that moves us towards endurance, and that endurance moves us towards character that is proven. And in that, we realize that God is in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And that gives us a more certain hope that we really are His and that the promises will become the promises that we receive. And therefore, that hope does not disappoint. So, last time Paul explained that sin and death existed before the law. And when the law came, it aggravated, if you will, the sin and magnified the sin and increased the sin so that it became uh, extreme. But he says that the good news is that the grace of God overwhelms it and overcomes it. That when grace, when sin abounded, 
grace much more abounded, to use the King James version of that verse. So, in this text, Paul is anticipating our questions. He's anticipating false ideas about what he's saying. And we saw that when he said that if it is by grace do we void the law, nullify the law, he says, no, we actually establish it. Now, he didn't tell us what that means. Now he's going to talk about the impact of if grace abounds sin, if grace is greater than sin, he's going to address the question of that should we continue in sin that grace may abound. If the access to grace is through sin, maybe we should sin more so we can have more grace. Okay? You can just see human reasoning going there. So, we're going to pick it up in chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, So what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we, who died to sin, still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we've been buried with him through the baptism into death so that Christ who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so we too might walk in newness of life. If we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now what Paul's saying here is no way to let us sin that grace may abound. Okay? That's a fiat answer. It's done, right? But he says there's a reason for that. That you and I are dead to sin. I remember back in the 60s we used to have a phrase when you were completely exhausted and couldn't do anything. We said, I'm dead to the world. And what we meant was, I can't do a thing. I'm not going to get up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to go to work. I'm, not, I'm dead to the world, right? The idea of being dead is the dead can't do anything, right? So Paul says, we are dead to sin. So how then, he says, do we continue to live in it? We have been baptized into Christ by the Spirit. This is a really important idea. And Paul doesn't really explain it here, but he does in another context. So I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just We're going to go over there just for a moment. Paul in Corinthians is explaining to them that when they were pagans, they just followed what they thought God wanted. But there's a difference now for us. We have the Spirit of God. And he says in verse 13 of chapter 12, By one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. It's really important to understand that that what Paul's talking about in Romans here, when he says being baptized into Christ, he's not just talking about water baptism. He's talking about that which the Spirit does in placing us in Christ. And that's going to be part of Paul's explanation of why we're dead to sin. If we've been baptized into Christ, if we've been immersed into Him, 
by the Spirit of God, then we, in some sense, were connected to His death. And so that's really what he's getting at in these verses. Uh, And he says, if we've been connected to Him in His death, we're also going to be united to Him, connected to Him in His resurrection. So the idea is that this process of death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return is not simply a matter of Jesus did that for us, but somehow we are brought into that process. That's really important. So our baptism into Christ, our immersion, puts us into His death and will put us into His resurrection. And so He says we are to walk in newness of life. This word walk is a word that means that's how we live. It's how we behave. It's how we operate our lives. We are to walk in Him. We're to walk in His ways. We are to engage our life in that context. So, since we've been united to Him in death, we have a certain hope that we will also be reunited or united with Him in His resurrection. Now, it's not as if that's all done and it's just operating. Paul wants us to understand this process. Remember, that process involves testing. It involves needing endurance. It involves character development. It involves then a certainty of the hope. That process is in his mind as he's talking about this. So we're going to pick it up at verse uh, 6 and 7. So he says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. So, Paul says, our old person was crucified with Christ so that this present body that you and I live in is no longer in control. The sin that is in our flesh is not where our mastery is. We have died to that. We are to see it that way. And this body, even though it's subject to temptation, Paul wants to use this idea that a slave is freed when he's dead. He's freed from that master. Now, the idea of slavery here is difficult for us as Americans because we think in terms of the slavery experience in America where blacks were terribly treated against their will and held there. In Paul's day, there were different kinds of slavery and he's using this in a more generic sense in the sense that a person who is in slavery is in obedience to a master. And the idea is if He is dead. He is freed from that master. In this case, Paul's talking about sin. So our death with Christ frees us from the slavery to sin. Uh, So, Paul's now going to explain this. And he's going to tell us that we have to take an attitude here. We We have to create a mindset. We have to address this ourselves. This doesn't happen automatically. So we're going to pick it up at uh, verses 8. He says, Now, if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. So death is no longer master over him. We're still subject to death. Christ is not. He's in the resurrection. Death will never touch him again. He's conquered it once and for all. On our behalf, yet you and I, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So he says, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. So Paul says, even so, consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what Paul wants us to do is he wants to draw a parallel. Christ died for us. He died for sin. He's now alive to God. And that's a permanent situation. Dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul says, I want you to take that same posture. Is it completely true for us? No. And next week he's going to tell us why. But the reality is, that needs to be our mindset. That needs to be our focus. We need to be focused on that death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and return of Christ. Rather than following what this body wants, following what the world tells us, and following the tricks of the devil. That's really what temptation is about. So Paul says, I want you to act as if that's true. This is our reckoning. Reckoning ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Now, Paul goes into this in much more detail in the book of Galatians. And you know uh, that book pretty well, but I want you to turn to Galatians 2, verse 17. And we're going to look at a few verses there so that we see what Paul's talking about. And it doesn't sound uh, as if he's just saying this off the cuff. He will say these things to all the churches somewhat in different ways, but he's trying to get us to follow the same principle. So in chapter 2, verse 17 of Galatians, Paul says, If while seeking to be justified in Christ, we find ourselves to have been sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Notice the proving here. Prove myself to be a sinner. What is Paul telling us in Romans? I want you to prove yourself to be walking in righteousness. A righteousness of faith that begins to manifest itself in a righteousness of obedience. So what he says is... uh, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. And now he gives his famous verse, which is critical. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't nullify the grace of God, because if righteousness comes through the law, through obedience, then Christ died needlessly. Well, in my case, and I suspect in your case, Christ didn't die needlessly. I have no chance of meeting the requirements of the law. As hard as I try, I don't have that capacity. I'm in need of grace. I'm in need of Christ dying to sin and living to God so that I can be brought in with Him into that context. So Paul goes over this in many of his letters trying to get 
the disciples, particularly the Gentiles, to understand that we are kind of in this period between the death and the resurrection. Jesus is through it all. We aren't, but we're in Him, and therefore we should be in a mindset that follows that pattern. Uh, and so, what he says is, we're, uh, we're buried with Him, and our life is hid with God in Christ. When He appears, we'll have that full resurrection. Now, where does he say that? He says that in Colossians chapter 3. I'd like you to look at that. Because again, I want you to see there are parallels in all the books that Paul talks about. This is not something he says, I've got to fill up another chapter in, in Romans. He's really, he's really trying to reinforce this to the Romans uh, in the way that he has done with others. So in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, notice this is an act of your will, set your mind on the things above and not on the things that are on the earth. And to the Galatians, he says it different. Set your mind on the spirit, and you won't set your mind on the flesh. Okay? So he's talking about this same idea. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, that's the second coming, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes on people. See what he's doing? Not saying, obey the commandments, because... In them you will be saved. He said, you've been saved. Your life is hid with Christ. You are called towards something that you're going to be. And just as a kid longs to grow up to be able to do the things that an adult can do, we are children of God longing for the resurrection when we will be able to walk in His ways without struggling with the flesh and the world and the devil. So that brings us back to Romans uh, in verse 12. So Paul says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you should obey its lust. And don't go on presenting your members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Fantastic words. Not easy to grasp that we are not to allow sin to be master of us. We are to see ourselves as dead to that. Now, it's not easy to do because, uh, and Paul will talk about this, and we'll talk about it more next week, but I think our default is to wake up and be minded to the flesh. We have to actually die daily, as Paul says, and say, I'm going to walk with the Lord today. Uh, this idea that I've been walking with the Lord in three days, so it's become habitual and I'm okay with it, is not a real thing. 
Uh, and many of us have learned that the hard way as we've gotten trapped and ensnared in things. How could I get to there when I'm trying to follow the Lord? So, again, we'll talk more about that next time. But Paul says, I don't want you to let sin be master or king of, in your body. You are to stop presenting your members. He means our senses, our arms, our legs, any of our body parts. could be our stomach. Uh, to sin and unrighteousness, but to present our bodies as living sacrifices in instruments of righteousness. Why do we do this? He says, because we're not under the law, we're under grace. And grace brings gratitude, and gratitude motivates us to want to please God. It really does. When you really feel, you remember the story of the woman uh, washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them with the hair. And he said to the Pharisee, uh, uh, who do you think is loves more? The one who's been forgiven a little bit of sin or the one who's been forgiven a lot of sin? And he says, I suppose the one who's been forgiven a lot of sin. And then he makes her an example. Those who have the greatest awareness of their own shortcomings. Those who know how easy it is for them to wander have a greater gratitude for grace. Not a mindset that says, well, the grace is okay, so I'm going to see how far I can go. That's dangerous. So, in verse 15, Paul says, well, and now again, <laughs> he's going to do it again, right? I know what you're thinking. When I say it's about grace, you're thinking that I don't have to worry about doing the right thing. It's just about grace. Uh, we used to, in Youth for Christ, we would change the hymns. And we changed one where we were saying, I was sinking deep in sin. Whee! Right? That's not the attitude you're supposed to have. Right? Uh, so he says, what, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Don't you know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. He's going to talk more about that issue of the heart next time. To the form of teaching that you were committed. Having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Now he says, I'm speaking in human terms. This human term of slaves and, and masters. Uh, because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity, to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness... So now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in holiness or sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. And the benefits that you got from the things which you are now ashamed of, the outcome of those is death. But having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome of eternal life. 
yeah, that'd be great. Have a little trouble with my sinuses and my hay fever here. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Excuse me a second. So, Paul anticipates the question, if we're under grace, maybe we should sin. And he says no. Because there's a direction to our life. This goes back to Deuteronomy. God said to Israel, I have placed before you life and blessing and death and cursing. And you will choose life. And so what he's doing here is he's saying that there are two paths. They are in some sense opposed to each other. So there's a road to San Diego and there's a road to Sacramento. If you're on the road to Sacramento, you're not going near San Diego. And if you're on the road to San Diego, you're not going to Sacramento, right? Now the issue is you might pull off. You know, make it a stop, you pull off. As you turn around, it looks like you're heading to Sacramento, but you're not. There is a path of your life. There's a, a way that you have chosen. One leads to life, the other leads to death. And Paul says, this is like slavery. When you are committed in one thing, or you are enslaved in one direction, enslaved to life, or enslaved to death then you're going to go in that direction. As slaves of sin, he says, we continued to obey our desire to sin that brought about even more sin, and the result of that ultimately will be death. So now, he says, we are to see ourselves freed from that and serving God. Back again to that notion. Dead to sin and alive to God. The path of sin is death, but God's grace is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, there's a danger here when I talk about that, because the minute you fall, you go to the left or the right, or you trip, or you mess up, or you even find yourself confused and realize you're going the wrong direction. There's a tendency to think that you've fallen from grace. You're just not minded on it. And there's an issue of intentionality here that we have to talk about. Paul doesn't address it quite the way I'd like to address it, but John does. So I'd like you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 3. I want you to realize that all the apostles talk about this. I could have gone to James, could have gone to Peter. I want to go to John because the way John says it, I think, makes it easier for us to understand this process. John chapter, 1 John chapter 3, uh, verses 2 to 10. John says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. It does not yet appear as to what we will be. There, but we know that when, we, when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him as He is. That's that resurrection, glorified condition that we don't know for sure what that's going to be. Uh, Right now we're just children trying to grow up and mature in Christ. He says, everyone who has this hope, remember this idea of the certain hope, everyone who has this hope fixed on Him, on Christ, 
purifies himself just as he is pure. Now what is purification? Purification is to get rid of the things that shouldn't be there. So if I've got a jar that says pure honey and there's an ant in it, it's not pure honey. It's ant honey, right? I need to get that ant out of there. There are times when there are things in our life and we're not pure. But the one who has that hope is looking for ways to purify themselves. To be more focused on more love to thee, O Christ. More love to thee. The hymn, the hymn writers understood this process. Christianity in earlier days understood this better than we understand it now. So, John says, uh, we purify ourselves. Now, in verse 4, he's going to give the example. And I, I think this example really works. He says, everyone who practices sin practices lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. That's a scary verse. I'm glad there are other verses to clarify this for us. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. Do you get that? We're only practicing righteousness. But our faith is counted as righteousness. And so we're, that's, that's good. Now, he says the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the work of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who doesn't love his brother. He brings that idea of the, the, great, the new commandment. Now, I don't know how many of you are instrumentalists, but I know that some are. So this works really good for if you do sports, if you do anything where you have to practice, this works. If I'm practicing the piano, what is my intent? To get better, to play it right, right? To play a righteous piano, right? When I'm practicing, what happens? I hit wrong notes, right? Am I hitting those deliberately? No. This is not intentional error or sin. It's unintentional. Unintentional sin happens to us while we're trying to practice righteousness. It's not our intent. I missed the turnoff. I still want to go to San Diego or to Sacramento. I missed the turnoff. I got to get back on there. My intent is clear. So the one who is born of God practices righteousness. Now, if you've got somebody who says, I'm practicing the piano, and they just hit any notes they want, just, you know, because it's jazz, right? Whatever they do, because I'm expressing myself. That person is not practicing the piano. And by the way, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes consistent. If you practice wrong, 
you're going to get really consistent at doing something wrong. When I first learned to play the guitar, there was a guy on TV named, uh, all of a sudden I can't think of his name. Uh, he, he's the guy who's saying, uh-oh, I'm falling in love again. Anyhow. He's, he's on, he's a, uh, yeah, he's on, he's playing on TV and I'm learning the guitar. And he's playing an A chord and he's got his thumb over the notes like this. So for a long time I played the A chord that way. That's hard to do. Then I realized that guy didn't know how to play the guitar. They tuned the guitar to a chord and he'd just move his thumb up and down there to play the three chords he needed. So I was following the wrong guy, right? So uh, the idea is, if you practice, I got really good at doing that. So I started playing the 12-string, and it was impossible to make that work. And I had to learn to play an A chord right. Okay. So practice makes consistent. What you want to do is be intentional about purifying. I want to do better. I want to follow the Lord. I want to mature. I know I'm not going to do it perfect. Don't get your perfectionist stuff going here because that will defeat you. Because if I can't do it perfect, then I won't do it at all. That kept me from learning the piano real well because I can play other instruments really well and the piano, I'm playing this old man and I hated that. And so I stopped stopped doing it. I know a little bit of stuff on there, but I can't play it. If I had to practice and I had to work at it, if my intention was really to do that, but I wanted the easy way. So I'd go back to the guitar and the bass, right? So this is what John's saying. You have an intent of your life. You're practicing righteousness or you're practicing unrighteousness. A person who practices righteousness will sometimes be unholy and unrighteous. They will do it because they become blinded. They will do it because they, they get their mind on the flesh. They, they get pulled away by the world. Sometimes they get self-deceived and they think they're doing right when they're not doing right. But ultimately, they will realize and return to God. Because their intent is to go to righteousness. Now, where does that intent come from? It doesn't come from us. That comes from the Spirit of God that is in us. The flesh is wanting to go one direction and the spirit is wanting to go the other. Paul's going to talk about those things. But we need to know that this is not an automatic process. The minute you coast, you're toast. Okay? I mean, that's a real, that's not a good sermon line, but you get it. You get the idea, right? Uh, Mistakes and errors and sins will happen. Even people trying to practice unrighteousness will occasionally do something holy and good. doesn't justify anything. This is about developing a character and a, and a direction of your life. An overall direction of your life. Uh, that, is, that is important. The one who practices sin gets better at sin. The one who practices righteousness gets more consistent at being righteous. This direction of our life is really important. And Paul's going to tell us that this is not an easy process. So, we have an entrance into the grace through faith. And Paul tells us that we're to be intentional about being dead to sin. And alive to God and righteousness and holiness. But there's going to be circumstances, situations and people that will test us 
in that process. Temptation will be there. And we will need to struggle to endure on the process. And in that endurance will become the chops to create a character in us that is Christ-like. And when we see that emerging and others see that emerging, it assures us. That's what Paul says. We're ass- John says, we're assured that we are genuine because we love the brethren and we keep his commandments. Do we keep them perfectly? No. But that's our intent and that's where we're working and that's where our energy is. John says, if you don't do that, you're a liar and God is not in you. So this is not about working for our salvation. This is about a gratitude for our salvation that makes us say, I want to please the one who loved me enough to give me life. So we have an entrance into grace through faith and Paul tells us that we're to be intentional about being dead to sin and alive to God. But this process has testing and that's a struggle. And it's a big struggle. It's a lifelong struggle. And we're fighting mostly, primarily, more in proximity to ourselves because that's the nearest part. The world is beyond us but still gives us trouble. Satan is even further. But the battle with self is the big one. And Paul's going to talk about that in the next chapter. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll do any Q&A if you have that.